I want to do is I just want to kind of jump into that this morning uh, series entitled A Bigger Table. And what I want to talk about this morning is setting the table, setting the table. When I think about uh, the table, one of the things that's amazing is that I grew up and when I grew up in a very real way, my family, uh, we would uh, gather together uh, every day around the same time at the table. And the table was not something that was negotiable. It did not matter what you were doing at any time, but it was required by my mama and my daddy that you would get, we would all gather together at the table. And as I uh, thought about that, the kitchen table was really where we, we lived. It was a time where we came together. It was a time where we laughed together, where we uh, told stories together, and we shared life together. And so as we sat at the table, and I look back on that period of time, what I realized is that I realized that our family became better, our family became stronger, uh, simply because we came to the table. Now, in just a few weeks, we will be entering into holiday season. Do you know around the holiday season, particularly at, the, at where, uh, my house when I grew up, that during that time, we would have new faces at the table. We would have uh, new voices that would fill the room. And as we uh, had those new faces and new voices and new stories, um, we did not have a space for them. So uh, this is what would happen. My father would go into the garage and he would get a couple of pieces of wood. And you may not know anything about this, uh, but he would, we would all pull the table from one end and the other end and he would drop that wood in the middle and then we would put additional chairs around the table so that we could invite those to the table that were not able to sit. Because we have a big God, it is important that we do not have a small table. Amen. Now, as we look at this, the church is a type of table. And as we focus on that type of table, God's really given us a vision or an insight into 2020. But more importantly, the impression on my heart is that we must have a bigger table. Now, what does it look like? What, is a, what does it look like when we talk about a bigger table? What does 2020 look like? And you know that God has called us to equip, to encourage, and to empower people to live successful Christian lives. And that looks very much when we are uh, a field with people who love God, who love all people, and are willing to serve the world. What does that look like? It looks like a people who are pursuing called work, meaningful work, uh, to fulfill purpose and not just busy work. It means that we are a place that's filled with people that have healthy relationships, that are healed in their bodies and financially empowered. And God desires that not only we sit at the table, but God desires that we have a bigger table so that there are others that can come and they can partake of what he is preparing for them, not just at the church, but in the kingdom. Now I wanna to talk to you uh, this morning um, as we look at this 
Because there are three uh, types of people that are at the table. And when we look at the table and we recognize those three types of people, well, first of all, that we do have uh, the mature believer that will come to the table and keeping in mind that the, that the church is a type of table. And so what we have is that we have the mature believer. Uh, that is someone who uh, knows the word, who understands the word, and they have deep roots in the word. They're not only a knower of the word, but they are a doer of the word. And then secondly, what we have here is that we have a new believer. It is someone that is new to the faith. They don't fully understand the word, but they are so excited that their lives have been changed. And then we have someone who is that third person at the table is a not yet believer, and we call them the unchurched. And these are people that God desires that the church should represent always three groups of people. The mature believer, the mature believer, the new believer, and the not yet believer. Now, when we look at the table, when we think about the church, it is so easy to enjoy eating a meal with the people that you like, the people that are just like you, the people that believe what you believe. But God desires that his table becomes bigger, bigger than those that look like you, believe the same thing that you believe, and that have grown up the same way that you have grown. Now, when we look around, many times we recognize that the people that we worship with, regardless of the church that you might attend, most of them look the same. Most of them have the same socioeconomic background. Most of them had the same journey in life. Most, not all. But what God desires is God desires us to see the example that he has set. Do you know what God broke religious and social barriers simply by doing something that was unthinkable? He sat at a table with a lot of people that did not believe what he believed, that did not uh, have the same journey that he had, but yet he invited them to the table. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark chapter 2, because followers of Jesus, they uh, knew that he had a radical table fellowship, and he broke social rules and he broke uh, rules of class. He broke various religious barriers. And you know, to be that place where Jesus is talking about, it has to be a place where mature believers are impacted, new believers are impacted, but a place where the unchurched loves to attend. Now, what do you mean? It is a place where not where people are judged, but where people are loved. We talked about that overwhelming, precious love of God. We talked about his love never fails, never runs out on me. And what God is saying, what we sing about is what our lives should be about, that our love will never fail. Our love will never run out on others. Now, let's look at this in the book of Mark chapter 2. And we're going to look and start in verse 15 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. In this particular table Jesus was sitting at, he saw uh, Levi, and he says, that, hey, come with me, Levi. And Levi came to, with him, and so Jesus began to dine at his house. 
in Mark chapter 2, verse 15, and we're going to read through 17. Come on, champions, let's read that together like we know it is the word of his power. Now, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's, Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Now, who was sitting together with him? Tax collectors. And they were the most undesirable people because they were ripping people off. So not only were they collecting taxes for Rome, but they were ripping people off so that they can get a little bit for themselves. And so they were undesirable, undesirable in society, but yet they saw Jesus sitting at the table with tax collectors. And guess what? His disciples were there with him also. And because of that, many followed him. Let's keep reading verse 16 together now. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, isn't that interesting? They didn't say that to him. They didn't say it to his face. But they said it to his disciples. We've got to start at the top again, and we're going to see something here. Let's read it together now. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, isn't that interesting? Now, what we recognize then is that these were, are the people that were so spiritual that they would separate themselves from these people who were just coming in or these people who were not yet believers. But they, there was a certain environment that they wanted to have. They were surrounded, wanted to be around certain people. And so they wanted to have this holy huddle rather than opening it up so that anyone who desired to come in could come in. You know what's interesting about that? Is that many times one could see a prayer and to know what we desire. A prayer that, oh God, your presence. We want your presence. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon us. How many of you know that he did that on the day of Pentecost? It's already been done. Now we acknowledge that. But how often do we pray, oh God, uh, prepare me uh, to be a witness to somebody. Oh God, we desire to have many disciples, converts that will follow you, Father. Those that are in the dark that will come into the light. So many times, one of the things that we can see is we can see how we pray is how we essentially are seeing God. And he's saying that it's a table, that I'm a big God, and I desire my table to be bigger. Now, Let's read here, and let's read that last one together, verse 16, and then we're going to move to 17, because I want you to see these two together, because God has given us a view into 2020, and what a privilege that we have to really embrace that and understand exactly what he is saying to us. Let's read verse 16 together. Let's read it together now. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, verse 17, let's read it together now. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to. And so what Jesus is saying is that I didn't come just for those that are already in the kingdom to sit around the table. For I have come for those who need a seat at the table who are on the outside desiring to get something good to eat. What a wonderful example of Jesus sharing with us the prototype of what we should be as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at that, then we recognize that Jesus sat, and we look throughout that, his table was so large that he sat with priests and he sat with prostitutes. He sat with the religious elite and he also sat with the commoners that were walking around in the streets. Jesus sat with disciples, but he also sat with people who did not believe what he believed. And all of these, this table here represents the table that Jesus desires. Those that are, that are uh, mature, those that are new, those that are not yet. And he said that there are stories that I tell that those that are not yet to nudge them toward accepting the stories, the word, and a new life that I have for them. Now, we can look at this and we can recognize that those people that God would desire won't look like you on your job, in the store that you might speak to. And see, the table is not just a place, but the table is your life. It is your neighbor. It is being in the store. It is being at work that you are always setting a table for them so that you can engage them, that you can uh, um, uh, approach them. They can approach you. And it is an opportunity for you to not segregate yourself from anyone. But what does he say? That Father, make them one just as you and I are one. For I have sent them in the world. Do not take them out of the world. They are in the world, but they are not of the world. So Jesus says that I sent them into the world. Don't take them out of the world and let's just let them be over there by themselves. But I've sent them into, in the world, and although they're in the world, they're not like the world. And what, what is he? He gives us an example of being a light that's set on a hill. Wow. And what happens is that we shut the, a hill is a high point. And what happens is that we can shine the light from the hill into the valleys. And what happens is that those that are in the valleys of their life can begin to see how to walk to the mountaintop. When we look at that, we recognize that, the, that, that those that, will, that, that God will bring you in contact with, that, that they will be those people that may not believe about marriage the same way that you believe about marriage. They may, may be people that will, will come and they will have addictions and there may be people that God will bring you in contact with that would uh, have broken families, will have very deep challenges in their life. But one of the things that I contend with you that every person will one day come into a valley and we'll, uh, every person will come into a spiritual valley or a career valley or a health valley or a relationship valley or a financial valley. But the beauty about a valley is a valley is at a low point between two high points. And David says in Psalm 23, 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. David said that the valley is not someplace that God has desired you to live. It's someplace you go through. 
And so the beauty of that is that then we begin to recognize the kind of table that God has set for you and set for me. And once we understand the kind of table that God has set for us, then we can invite others to a bigger table. Psalm 23. Let's take a look at that really quickly. Psalm 23, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And I want you to see this. David is writing and David says, look, come on, you've got to read that with me. Come on, let's say it and declare it together now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, Now what David is saying here is that the Lord is my, my shepherd. So, so notice this, that David is doing something that they did not do during that time. During that time, they talked about our God. Our God. You see, not the, the God of a nation rather than the God of a, an individual. But it didn't start out like that. Remember, when Abraham, he was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac. He was the God of Jacob. So he was the God of the individual Abraham. He was the God of the individual Isaac. He was the God of the individual Jacob. But Jacob, out of him came a nation. And then they stopped referring to him as a God of an individual to a God of a nation. But God always desired that he's the creator of the universe, but he loves you so much he wants to get all up in your stuff. What a privilege that is. So David starts saying some stuff. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So if he's a shepherd, that means that David is seeing himself as a sheep. And can I just tell you what sheep, what's, what's a sheep like? A sheep's not very smart. A sheep's not very smart. Uh, so the sheep needs the shepherd. Sheep, uh, when you look at that and see some of the things, and, I, and I'll show you just in a few moments, but a sheep's not very smart. And do you know what's interesting? A sheep has a small brain but a big heart. If you dissected a sheep, you would see exactly the makeup of a sheep. The sheep has a little brain, but the sheep has a big heart. What does God want? God wants us to have a heart that he can mold into his own. He wants us to have the heart of a servant and the mind of a king. But the way we have the mind of the king is, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. And so, do you know that a sheep, if they fall on their back, they can't get up? They need someone else to help them get back to their feet. So what a beautiful analogy that David says that the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, it does not matter if I come into a spiritual valley, a financial valley, a relational valley if I come into a health valley, if I come into a spiritual valley, if I go to a, 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 a valley in my career, I shall not want. Why? It was you've got a shepherd. Now he goes on to talk about this in verse two. Let's read it together. Now, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So first thing that God, David says, God, David says God set the table and God knows me. He knows me personally. 
Isn't that good news? That God knows your name. Then David says, God restores me. God leads me. And he's making a great declaration about God. But I, I want you to notice that it's in this first part here. And in, in, in verses 1 and verses 2 and verses 3. David talks about he leads me beside the still waters. You know why? Why the waters are still? Shepherds don't allow the sheep to drink when the water's moving because the sheep will get drowned. I told you they had small brains. He says he leads, he leads me into green pastures. He restores my soul. See, notice this, that David is talking about God in the third person. And, 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 and he's, he's talking about God. He does this. He leads me. He restores me. But notice here in verse 4. See, David at first starts out giving praise to the goodness of God. But in verse 4, let's read it together now. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Notice this, now he's talking about God in the second pronoun. Before David, David was in the valley, before he went in the valley, he began to talk about God, but once he got in the valley, he starts talking to God. Why? It's because David had a praise that he provides for me, he leads me, he restores me, so when I'm in the valleys of life, I don't have to worry. Why? It's because I've got a shepherd that's looking out for me. See, God has set the table for you and me. Notice this, verse 5. Let's read it together now. You prepare a table before me in the... You know what? You don't need much help when you're around friends. You don't need much help when you're around people that are supporting you. But oh, among your enemies, you need some help. You need some help. And notice this. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And when you sit at the table, you're not looking to fight. You're looking to feast. When you're sitting at the table, it is a vulnerable position that you're in because you cannot defend yourself. And David says that in the middle of a battlefield, I'm sitting at a table that has been prepared for me, set for me, in the middle of my enemies. How many of you would love to be in a place where you didn't have to fight the battles you thought you had to fight? That you would be in a place where when you came to uh, the career valleys, when you came to the spiritual valleys, when you came to the financial valleys, you had somebody that was going to look out for you and, uh, and you would recognize as David says that, you know what, I'm not going to worry about this. He has this. And then you sit at the table and you nourish yourself on what he has prepared for you in a vulnerable state. And notice this. He says he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. The anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing removes the burden. The anointing destroys what's been trying to hold on to you. 
The, the anointing destroys what you've been dealing with for years and years and years. See, it is the anointing that destroys the yoke of sickness. It is the anointing that destroys the yoke of less. less. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of not enough. It is the anointing that destroys the yoke of people that may talk about you badly on your job and sabotage your work. It's the anointing that destroys the boss who knows you need to be promoted but won't promote you. And the reason he won't promote you is because he wants you to make him look good or her look good. It is the anointing that destroys that. And just as it was upon him, God says it's in you. So if he pours it on David's head, his cup runs over, but the spirit of the Lord is upon you, in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so you don't have to have it on you. You've got it in you. Now, you, the real key is not whether or not you have the anointing, but the key is are you walking in the anointing that you have? So David says that he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And he says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not today. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not this week. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not just this month. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow, not just this quarter. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, not just this year or next year, but goodness and mercy shall follow me where? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Why? It's because he has prepared and set a table before me. And he is saying, that I desire all of those that I have created to sit at the table. They may not look like you, they may not believe what you believe, but I will speak to you in the store, I will speak to you at work, and it's an opportunity that I am giving you to connect with someone else that you do not know. Because what you have, they need. And they're looking for you to take them to a place where you've been, but they've desired to go. And that is his presence.